Well, good morning. Well, as Chris said, I'm one of the pastors here over our youth, the young adults, and it is always an honor and a privilege for me to get the opportunity to speak on a Sunday morning. Those who don't know, we meet every Wednesday from 6.30 to 8.30 across the parking lot, and I get to do this just about every week, but it is so fun to be able to do it on a Sunday morning and to be here. And like most times, I just get to speak what I want to speak, what God's put on my heart. And uh, the last couple of times, we've been doing series, and we're in the, the series of the book of Acts, talking about the Holy Spirit in you. And uh, so I've known for a while that I would be speaking on chapter 9, and we're going to touch on that. Um, and so it's really interesting diving into, okay, let's just do all this stuff. I've got plenty of time. I know what I'm speaking on, so I'd listen to podcasts, listen to preachers, listen to teachers, open my commentaries, study all this, and I just felt like this complete overload. And, uh, and then God just kind of put the brakes on and just began to just put this message together. So I'm excited this morning to be able to speak this to you. We're gonna be talking about Saul and his conversion. How many of you have heard of Saul before? Raise your hand. Yeah, how many of you went to Sunday school or children's church and you knew about Saul? Raise your hand. How many of you believed that Saul was going on the road to Damascus and he was riding a donkey or a horse? Raise your hand. Yeah, we saw the flannel graphs, we saw the videos, we saw, guess what? That's not in the Bible. Like, you know, I was astonished to find that out because I was like, what have I been taught as a kid? You know, Saul's riding a horse or a donkey, and he gets knocked off his horse. It's not true. It's not true in what we're reading today, and Paul tells his testimony two other times. He doesn't mention anything about a horse or donkey, so I don't know how that ended up there, so I hate to burst your bubble this morning. Saul didn't fall off a horse. Um, but I do want to tell you some things about Saul. You can see them on your screen. Saul, we know from Scripture that he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Hebrew. He was of the nation of Israel a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee, and in Saul's own words, or Paul's own words, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, he was looked up to, he was well-educated, people looked to him, the Pharisees looked to him and looked up to him, and he was taught by a very well-respected teacher named Gamaliel. This is Saul. Saul seems like a pretty legit dude. He has got it going on. He is everything that everybody probably wanted to be. He is popular. He is respected. He has power. He has privilege. He has influence. Great guy. But we know the story, don't we? Not all that exciting at first. Now, if you hear me say Paul or Saul, I just want to clarify this right up front. Um, Saul is his name. He's a Jew. That's what it means in, uh, in Hebrew is Saul. Um, but he is called by God to go to the Gentiles, the Greeks. And so in Greek, it is Paul. Saul and Paul are the same names, just two different versions of the same name. He wasn't given a new name by God when all of this happened. It's just because of who he was going to. So if I say Saul, I mean Paul. If I say Paul, I mean Saul. It's the same person, same name, just different version of him. Amen? Yeah. Not it? Good. So Saul, we find out he is one of the who is zealous for the destruction of the church and Christ followers. 
He is, it, and it all begins in chapter, at the end of chapter 7, as we see that this man named Stephen, his, he is doing what he's called to do. He's, he's a deacon. He's one of the followers of Jesus. He's been given a job, but he is proclaiming the good news everywhere. And there are some people that got ticked off. And in that uh, moment, they decide they've had enough. They take off their cloaks. And it says on the, at the end of chapter 7, they laid them at the feet of this young man named Saul. And they began to stone him and that Saul, um, he approved of the death of Stephen. And in verse, and starting in verse 8, um, it says, or in, in, I'm sorry, in chapter 8, kind of about verse 2, it says that Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house and dragging believers from their home into prison. This event, this stoning of Stephen, stirred something up in Saul that caused him to go on a mission to destroy the church. His life mission before encountering Jesus was to destroy everyone who was a follower of Jesus. This is where we find ourselves. Now, just before chapter 7 and the stoning of, of Stephen, the church is growing. It's bursting. People are, people are following Jesus. They're, they're spreading the gospel. They're growing fast. The disciples don't know what to do, so they invite deacons in, and they commission these men to go and take care of the widows and the orphans, and they start this food pantry, and they're doing all of these things in Jerusalem because the gospel is growing so much. And it's at this time that Saul gets this intense hatred for what's happening in Jerusalem and in the neighboring regions. He is, he's ticked off because, well, just let me give you some background. Saul is a teacher of the law. Saul has grown up. He knows the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke. No, I'm sorry, just kidding. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He knows them by heart. He knows the prophets, the major and the minor. He knows all the writings of the Old Testament. And he knows there is what one God, his name is Yahweh, and he is going to be a defender of that. He is going to stand up for what he knows is true. He's going to stand up for what he's been taught, and he doesn't want anything to do or anything to disrupt that. He wants to keep the purity of what he thinks is the right way. And so Saul has got these blinders on. He cannot see. He hears that Jesus is the Messiah, and this goes against everything that he's ever been taught. Everything that he's been learned, he just didn't see it. And to be called the Messiah literally meant that he was king. And there was but one king in Rome, and it was Caesar. And so this, they just wanted to, to quiet the mouths of Jesus' followers. Because, well, Rome, the Romans were in charge of Jerusalem. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they had peace with them as long as they did their thing and just kept quiet then everything was fine. And these Jesus people, they were messing things up because they were saying Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the king. And if that, Rome got word of this, there was going to be trouble, and they didn't want anything to disrupt anything. So this is where Saul's at. He is on a, he is on a path of destruction to eliminate Christ's followers the way Jesus' people. This is where we find Saul in this moment. And so I want to read to you starting in verse 1 of Acts 9. 
Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your reminders. Thank you, Father, this morning for what we've already experienced in our time of worship and your presence here. Thank you for those who made a declaration today who said, I want everyone to know that I am a follower of Jesus, that I have committed my life to you. And so, God, I I just pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts. Would you continue just to move among us? Would you challenge us? Would you transform us as you do, Saul? And would you help us to do what you called us to do in this time, in this place? Because, Lord, that's really your plan and your purpose for us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, We have this church that's been started to grow. We have a man who's out to destroy what is happening. And um, Paul's pretty ticked. Saul Saul must have gotten word. Jerusalem's pretty much been cleared out. Either everyone who has been following um, Jesus or has been a, a, a disciple of Jesus they have all but scattered. They're either been killed, they're in hiding, uh, or they've just run away. And, and Saul has gotten word somehow through some way that a lot of them have gone to Damascus. And Luke states in the very first verse there that Saul is still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. He was a man consumed with one passion, as I've said, namely just to eliminate the followers of Jesus from the earth. And it wasn't enough for Saul that he had done that in Jerusalem, that he had broken up the church there, that that Stephen was dead. Now he wanted to go to Damascus. Let me just tell you a little bit about Damascus. Damascus is 120 miles from Jerusalem. Now remember, I told you he wasn't on a horse. They walked. This is a five to six day journey from Jerusalem to Damascus for one purpose, to drag people from there another five to six days back and to imprison them or worse, to kill them. He is on, he is de- on a destiny to fulfill something in his heart that he just feels this needs to happen. Why Damascus? Well, Damascus is this hub It's this place, there's like 20,000 people in Damascus. There's several synagogues. And so the the Jesus movement, they're meeting in synagogues. They They haven't started house church yet or anything like that. They're meeting in the synagogues. And so Saul knows this. And so he's like, we gotta go to Damascus. This is, this is a big, this is a big deal. This is a central hub. Everything that happened in that area went through Damascus. Okay, Damascus was this, um, this hub of caravan trade. So if it was new and they were going to see if it was going to succeed and, and be a big deal, it would go to Damascus. If it worked there, then it would go from there to Mesopotamia and to Persia, Arabia, and Syria. So it was, it was basically, Damascus was basically the Amazon hub of its time. It was the TikTok of its day. If it was popular on in Damascus, then it was going out to Instagram, Facebook, and all that. You guys get it. All right? So this is a big deal. So Damascus is a huge deal. So Saul is willing to take 
these men and travel five to six days to get to Damascus to just eliminate Jesus' followers. And just to show you how Saul not only doesn't care, but really his cruelty and his heartlessness. It says here that he was after both men and women. He didn't care that if he took fathers and mothers away from their children, he had such an intense hatred for Jesus Christ and his followers that he felt that any suffering inflicted on them was right. Let me ask you this question. Does it sound like anything that's going on in the world today? Does it sound like maybe this is still going on? As we hear about Afghanistan and the Taliban and ISIS and stuff like that, these are people who are lost, who think that what they are doing is the right thing and they have been blinded to the truth. They don't know what they're doing, but I want you to understand and hear me today. God still loves them. He cares for them. He's pursuing them and he's going after them. Just as he does, as we see with Saul's life, that we are, we are going to experience persecutions that people who think they are doing the right thing, but the reality is they've been blinded to the truth, but God is still pursuing, amen? And he's going after. So really, Tom said it this last Tuesday, Saul is nothing more than a righteous terrorist. He thinks that what he is doing is the right thing and he's trying to keep the law pure. The reality is, he doesn't know who God really is. And it says in verse three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now in reading Reading the commentaries, I read James Boyce's commentary, and he said this, God spoke, and God was Jesus. Imagine in that moment, Saul. He is totally turned upside down. He has no idea what just happened. The very thing that he's fighting against, the very thing that he's trying to destroy, he realizes in an instant he realizes the story's true, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus died on a cross but, and was buried, but he was risen from the dead. He wasn't carried away by his disciples and hidden. He rose from the dead, and he's speaking to him in that moment. Can you imagine? <laughs> Saul's no dummy, but he realizes in a minute, uh-oh, what's going on? And it says, Jesus says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink. Hmm. Saul has this encounter with Jesus. In a minute, in an instant, in a flash, in a bright light, he realizes everything that I have stood for up to this point is null and void, done, over, changed, heart transformation. Well, we don't know that yet. 
But here we find he has this encounter with Jesus, the very one that he has been cursing and killing people over. Can you imagine what he's feeling in this moment? And for three days, he's blind so that Jesus can help him see the truth. For three days, he's blind so that he can see that the very one that he was persecuting and the people that he were persecuting were the ones that were right and the ones that God, Yahweh, had chosen and that they were carrying on the message of his word. This very one had met him on the road and this one encounter transformed his life completely. We need to have encounters with Jesus Christ, amen? We need to have an experience with Jesus. It is, don't get mad at me. It is not okay for us to just sit in these seats every Sunday and say, I went to church on Sunday. It's not good enough to sit in front of your screen on a Sunday morning and to watch some preacher preach and to hear the message and think that you're okay. You need an encounter with Jesus Christ. We have to have this experience where we know that Jesus is real, that he loves us, that he says he will do what he said he will do. And this, you guys, is why you heard this morning from several of our young our young students, they went to a camp, they went to a conference, they went to a retreat for one reason, to get away from all the junk and all the garbage, to get rid of the social media and to have an encounter with Jesus, to say, I want to worship, I want to be in the presence of God, I want to have him speak to me, I want him to touch my life, I want to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want him to tell me he loves me. We do these retreats because we know that it's the encounter that matters. Without an encounter with Jesus, we're just going through the motions. And an encounter will transform your life. I know, I know in my life what happened when I was 12. I know what happened when I was 16. For me, it was life-changing. Those were moments that nobody can take away from me because those were my encounters. You need to have an encounter with Jesus. Saul needed to have an encounter with Jesus. He didn't know what he was doing. He thought he was doing all the right things. And Jesus just needed to meet him right where he's at and say, whoa, buddy, this isn't, this isn't where we're going. This isn't, you're not doing what you think. It, what you think you're doing is right is not right. And he has this transformation, this moment, this instant where he encounters a living God who loves him and wants to speak to him and tell him, hey, 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 Slow down. I love your zeal. It's in the wrong direction. I love what you're doing. I mean, I love your heart, but it's in the wrong way. And I need, I need you to listen. And I believe that he is blind for three days because Jesus wants to just love on him. Jesus wants to tell him, where he, where, show him where he's at, what he's doing, what he's, what he's I, I do not believe for an instant that he's blind for three days so Jesus could show him all the wrong things that he's done. Don't believe that for a minute. What I do believe is he's telling him, look, the zeal, this hunger, this thing that you have, I'm going to use that to, to project uh, like wildfire the message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that he's come, he died for your sins, that this isn't just for the Jews, this is for the Gentiles, this is for everyone. And by the way, Saul, you're going to suffer a lot for this message. These are the conversations that I believe Jesus is having with Saul as he's blind for three days, as he's waiting. We need to have an encounter with Jesus. And I'm, I'm all about having advances and retreats and getaways because of that very reason, because we just need to get away. 
We just need to say, okay, I'm going to just get rid of the normal whatever, and I'm going to sit in the presence of God and see what happens. You guys, Jesus is the answer. You heard testimony this morning. Jesus is the one who changed their life. Jesus is the answer for your finances. He's the answer for your relationship. He's the answer for your job. He's the answer for your marriage. He's the answer for this community, for Madison. He is the answer for Wisconsin and the United States. He's the answer for COVID. He's the answer for Afghanistan and for ISIS and for the Taliban. He is the answer. And I don't just say this because I'm standing up here and I'm supposed to. I'm saying this because I've had an encounter with Jesus. And I know that he is the one who he says he is. He's the life, the truth, and the way. And we need to know Jesus personally and have an encounter with him. That's what he wants from you. Some of you are sitting here this morning. You're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I got dragged here. Somebody brought me here or whatever. Guess what? This is your Damascus road. You're here because you need to know that Jesus loves you. You need to know that he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. You need to know that he hasn't given up on you, that he's called you, and he's he's got something destined for you. He is the answer. And verse 10 says, and in Damascus... There is a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. I want you to see the difference here. Ananias is a disciple of Jesus. And when Jesus talks to him, he says, yes, Lord. When Jesus spoke to Saul, he said, who are you, Lord? When we have a relationship with Jesus and he speaks to us, our response is, yes, yes, Lord. And then we need to prepare. What are you saying to me? Like, Ananias gets very, very specific words of knowledge about what is about to happen. These are very specific things that Jesus lays out for him. You're gonna go to Judas's house on Straight Street and you're gonna go into that house and you're gonna find a man named Saul. He's from Tarsus. You may have heard of him before. Um, And he's praying. And while he's been praying, he's also had a vision of you coming in here and laying your hands on him and he would receive sight. That, you guys, is mind-blowing. That is very specific. That's like, are you sure? Like, I mean, let's read on because this is exactly what Ananias kind of says. He says, Lord, um, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority for me from the chief priests to come get me to arrest me and all who call on your name. This is amazing, isn't it? It's like, what? Ananias is like, okay. You guys, God, you realize this, right? You realize, okay. I was thinking, you know, God didn't need Ananias to go and touch Saul to become blind. He definitely doesn't need Ananias to go and lay his hands on him so that he'll see again, right? But this is exactly what Jesus does all the time. 
He uses people to touch other people to help them see. He, God didn't need Ananias, but he chose him. He uses other people to help us see. He uses others to show us where we might be insensitive, where we have blind spots, where we need some adjustments and some correction. God uses people to remind us how much he loves us and he's thinking about us. God uses people, and sometimes I think we all want this big flash of light coming down from heaven, knocking us to our feet, out of your car, off your donkey, whatever, onto the ground, and we want to hear him just personally speak to us and tell us exactly what it is that he wants us to do. But I'm here to tell you many times he uses your husband, your wife, your friend, your sister, your brother, your pastor, your youth pastor, and we don't always like it. And we think, who, what right do you have? And we get offended. And God's like, look, I'm just using this person to speak into your life. And if we will take the time to sit back, step back and say, God, is this really, is this really me? I guarantee you, you'll step back and go, oh, okay. God uses people to help us see. God uses each of us for, to help other people see. And our job isn't to go around and show people where they're wrong, but sometimes God will use you or use somebody to speak into your life just to kind of give you some correction and get you on the right path. Amen? And don't get offended. This is what, this is what Jesus does. This is how he uses us. So you heard Pastor Tom last week shared a few stories of one of the events that we decided to do this year was called Pray and Play. We've been teaching our kids about sitting in the presence of God, about getting crossing the chicken line, praying for people, asking to help people, do these things. We've had our junior high boys praying over our senior girls. We've had girls praying just to get out of the comfort zone. And then we finally said, you know what, let's get out of these walls and let's go do something. So we decided, let's go do a pray and play. So we didn't tell the kids exactly what this was going to be. We told all our students, hey, we're going to do this thing. The whole main objective is to prepare our hearts, be ready, and go and pray for people. So we, we went up to Noah's Ark uh, two weeks ago, Thursday. And we, the night before on Wednesday, I got the whole team together, and I just said, hey, guys, this is what I want tonight. I want you to go home, and before you go to bed, I want you just to sit still. I want you just to be in the presence of God. Invite him into your room or wherever you're at and allow him to speak to you. And I want you to write down things that he shows you or speaks to you. Words, pictures, colors, you know, anything. Just write it down. I don't care how crazy it is. And I, and I shared a few stories with them. And so that's what they did. They went away. Thursday morning happens. We get all of our students together. We finally get them in the vehicles. We're riding up. We're all excited. We're playing music and we're jamming out. And about halfway through, I turned off the music and I said, guys, let's hear, let's hear what God shared with everybody. Just start sharing. So they were, they were calling things out. They were colors, hairstyles, specific swimsuits and styles of swimsuits and, and people with broken feet. And I was like, okay. And all this stuff. And you heard Tom share this last week. Well, we got, we got to know his ark and then we found out the other two vehicles did the same thing unplanned. Then we brought everybody together and said, okay, let's just yell out some things that, that God spoke to you. And, and there were just so many things that were consistent. Colors, names, pictures, broken legs, three. In my mind, I'm like, I, I'm like, I didn't care how crazy it was, but in my mind, I'm thinking, who goes to a water park with a broken leg? Like, I have a broken leg. Here's a good idea. Let's go to Noah's Ark. Like, that, that's crazy. So we have three, three different kids had broken legs, 
and we prayed for three people with broken legs. This is amazing. And so one, we broke up into our teams, and one of, the, one of the students in my team, he had this vivid picture of a woman pushing a stroller and a baby. And so my team, we didn't go into the park right away. We decided to go through the parking lot and just kind of see what God lined up, and we're just praying. And, uh, and as we're walking away from the entrance gate, we're walking and this lady is coming towards us and she's in a, she has a stroller and a baby and a bunch of kids. And, and so this student, he was just over, overly excited. He literally jumped out in front of her, scared me, definitely scared her, and started to say, hey, do you have a minute? And she was like, nope. And she pushed that stroller around, was like gone. And I, the first thing that popped into my head was, me walking in a mall when somebody jumps out, you know, to try to sell you something in the middle of the courts there, and I'm just like, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, just walk away. This is exactly what I thought. And I was like, hey, you know, don't get discouraged. Just, let's just relax. Let's just go at this a little different. And, and so we had great opportunities to pray for people that, that day. And then we had lunch, and after lunch, we told, told all our students, go have fun. Just go uh, play and but while you're doing that, just keep your eyes open, your heart ready, and your spirit um, attuned to what God wants to do and look for opportunities. So Sarah and I, we just didn't want to go on the rides. We're just sitting in the wave pool, just relaxing. And, but I hear James, the, the kid that was in my group, he's walking with two other students, and they see this woman coming towards them. She's got a stroller and a baby. And so they approach her and say, hey, do you got a second? And uh, she says, yeah, what's up? And he just begins to tell her, hey, we're with the youth group. We've been praying last night and today, and God gave me this picture of a woman pushing a stroller with a baby. Would you mind if we prayed for you? And she says, yeah, go for it. And then he says, is there anything specific that we can pray about? And she says, yeah, my husband just died. Now, guys, I have no idea what God did in that woman's life. No idea. But here's what I know. God gave a picture to a 15-year-old teenager to meet this woman at a water park who needed to know that God hears her, God sees her, and he loves her. He uses people to help us see. I don't know what she's crying out for, but I know this, she's crying out. And Jesus wanted to in intersect her life. And he did it because a teenager was willing to step out of his comfort zone, not once, but twice. Because God wanted that woman to know he loves her. God uses us yeah, he could shine bright lights. He could do all the things he wants to do, but he has chosen us to speak life, to tell people Jesus loves them, to just simply pray for them, to ask, Are you, is there anything that I can pray for you about? And in that moment, God can transform someone's life. It happened to Saul. I'm sure it happened with that woman and many others that we prayed for that day. He wants us to get rid of our pride and our fear and all our garbage to just step out and do what he's called us to do. He has put value on us. 
because he needs the world to know that he's real and that he loves them and that he's got a plan for their lives. Amen. So he chooses Ananias to go to Saul. And to be honest, if we're all honest, we're going to put way more of a fight up than Ananias does. I mean, if you look through the Bible and you just think, hey, this is the way it goes. God says to do it. and You just do it. Look, you can look at Moses. You can look at Gideon. You can look at Jonah. And one of the things that I've really found out in this studying this is Jonah, Jonah wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. That wasn't his reason for not going to Nineveh. Jonah hated the Ninevites with a passion. He knew that he went with that message that those people would probably repent and that God would not kill them. And he hated them and wanted them destroyed. Ananias knows Saul. I'm sure he's been told all of the stories and it, I'm sure that he even knew some of the people that have been killed at the hands of Saul. It's also very obvious to me that someone outran Saul to Damascus to tell Ananias what was happening. But Jesus loved Saul. He pursued Saul. And he turned to Saul in this moment and in all of his glory, he shone his presence unto Saul so that his life would be changed, so that he would know, Saul, I see you, I know you, I hear you, and I still love you. Just to let Paul know, or Saul know, Paul, Saul, remember? Just to let him know that he's real and loves him. This is what Jesus does we sing this song all the time, Reckless Love. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear, break, whatever it is, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Do we really believe it? Do we believe the words that we sing, do we believe the truth of God's word? Do we believe that God, the same God, the same Jesus who met Saul on Damascus is the same God who's pursuing you and coming after you and going and knows your life. He knows what you've done. He knows all that stuff and he still loves you and he cares about you, that he will knock down walls, that he will tear down lies, that he will climb mountains, that he will pursue you because this is the God of the Bible and this is the God that I know. He, we can't just sing a song because it's beautiful. We got to know that this is the truth of his word and his personality and who he is. This is who Jesus is. He pursues us because he loves us, because he wants to see us fulfill our destiny. Amen? So we got to stop just singing and we got to stop just sitting and we got to start doing and believing. We got to start being who God created us to be. For the simple reason there are a lot of souls out there who need to know that Jesus loves them and cares for them. This is what Jesus does to Saul. Despite his anger, despite his hatred, his wrongful imprisonment and murder of his people, Jesus says, I love you, you're my son, and I'm gonna use you. So don't think for a moment, don't think for a moment that God can't use you because you've gone too far or that you've never, you'll never be forgiven because of your past sins or your failures or mistakes. 
That's not who Jesus is. His blood washes all our sins. He already paid the price. The next step is you. Is saying, I receive. Watchman Nee, I'm reading a book by Watchman Nee, and he, he talks about the blood of Jesus, and he says, if the blood is good enough for God the Father, it has to be good enough for you. Because it's the only way. The blood is the only way. The blood of Jesus is the only way. It's the only thing that covers our sins. It's the only thing that makes us right before God. Our part is to accept that, is to accept Jesus. And please don't think that anyone else has gone too far, that he can never be, they can never be forgiven of their sins or their failures. This is exactly what the devil would want us to believe. It's exactly how he'd want us to think. But the facts are, they're just not true. The blood of Jesus washes away all of our sin. He, ta- he transforms a Saul into a Paul. He'll transform your life into the man or the woman that he's created you to be. This is Jesus. He is the answer. And if we can learn anything from the story of Saul, it's that he shows us that we all have a future in Jesus despite what's in our past. In verse 15 it says, but then the Lord said to Ananias, go. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. A moment ago, Ananias is minding his own business, doing his own thing, a disciple of Jesus, who knows that Ananias or that Saul is coming to probably find him and drag him to Jerusalem. And the next moment, Ananias is calling him brother because that's the way it works in the family of God. In an instant, in a moment, we're family. In one, one touch, one heartbeat, one second, we become family. No longer enemies, no longer worried, no longer afraid. Now it's brother. Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who, you, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul is blind for three days, and in those three days, I believe that the Father God was just loving on him. He was just telling him how much he loves him. He was just telling him how much he believed in him, how much that he was going to use him. He was telling him the plans that he has for him, that he was going to go to a people that before he would think were disgusting and cursed by God, that God was now calling him to this people and that he was gonna suffer. And in that moment, in those three days, I believe with all my, well, it's proof is right here, he received Jesus as a savior. He's like, I'm all in. I'm all in. I was all in what I thought was right before. I'm all in now. And the moment that he could see, the first thing that he did was he made a public declaration of his personal commitment to Jesus and he was baptized before anything else. He gets baptized. This is powerful. 
This is life-changing. And Saul, it, it doesn't go easy for Saul right after this. this is, these are the hardships he's going to have to go through because of his past, but he gets through them. And we know, we know what Paul does. He writes 13 books of the New Testament. He is a powerful apostle. He, he is he has taught preachers and teachers, and he has started churches. He's done all these things. Why? Because the power of God had a, impacted this man's life on a road of, of destruction, and he turns them around, and he says, you'll be my vessel, and I will use you. But one of the things that I found as astonishing in this story is this man, Ananias. This man, Ananias, this is one act of obedience by Ananias changes the course of history. I mean, what happens to Paul without Ananias? But Ananias is only mentioned one time in the Bible for one thing. This is his only, this is his only commission that we know about. Ananias is called by God to go and lay his hands on Saul. And this is, the, this is the end of the story. He does that. The only other time you hear about Ananias is the two times that Paul is personally telling his testimony of what happened. And he mentions Ananias' name. That's it. Ananias goes in, lays his hands on Saul. Saul receives his sight, gets baptized. Nope, we don't hear any more about Ananias. But trust me, Ananias is a big part of this story. He's a big piece of this story of Paul's life. This man, out of obedience, went and laid his hands on Saul. And Saul becomes Paul. We need to understand and never underestimate the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. Think about this for a minute. Ananias gets rewards in heaven for all of the fruit of Paul's ministry. Think about that for a minute. One act of obedience, and he gets to receive the fruit of Paul's ministry, that's amazing. We can never underestimate the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go just to that one. It might seem simple and stupid. It might be, like, embarrassing. But we never know what the Holy Spirit's gonna do. We don't know what the Holy Spirit did in that woman's life for those people who we prayed for with broken legs, for the lady who had the specific hairstyle that one of our students saw, for that girl in the swimsuit that, that had the name Grace. We have no idea what that one encounter did. But I know this, one act of obedience can change the course of history. We never know what God has in store for that one. What we're called to do is go make a difference. We're called to use what we have as simple as it might be, our voice, our hands, our feet, our knowledge, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and go and touch someone. Go make a difference. Make a difference in your home. Make a difference in your school and in your workplace. Go make a difference in your community. Go make a difference in your city. Go make a difference in the world. How? Just be you, full of the Holy Spirit, saying, what do you have for me today? Who do you want me to speak to today? And we don't have to ask God if he wants us to go for, pray for somebody who's in on crutches or has a cast on their arm, just go pray for them. They're already, they're, they're damaged, they're broken. Let's go pray for them. Just say, hey, can I pray for you? And just make it simple. Just who knows what God will do, but just go make a difference because God is pursuing people just as he's pursued you. He's, he's got us right here, right now for his plan and his purpose. And it's not just to sit around and do what we want to do all the time. It's to, it's to build the kingdom. It's to snatch people from hell. 
and to invite him into heaven. You know, we have the right, the power, and the authority to unpopulate hell and to populate heaven. That's our goal. That's what we were created for, is to snatch people out of the hands of darkness and lead them to the light. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Would you guys all bow your heads this morning? I said this earlier, I believe that some of you are here, you don't know why you came, you don't know why you said yes, but you're sitting here this morning and I just want you to know God's pursued you and he used people around you to get you here or you found your way into this place because he just wants you to know that he loves you and that he wants a relationship with you. And so I wanna ask this morning for you to be honest with yourself before God. If you're here this morning and you have never invited Jesus into your life, You have never said the words, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and be my Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning, that's you, would you just raise your hand up? I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hands and say, yeah, I want to make that decision today. Maybe you're here this morning and you've made that decision, but you're far from God. You're just not doing what you feel like God has called you to do. You know that he's put specifics in your life, but you are far from him. You're not pursuing him, but he's pursuing you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Thank you. I see you in the back. Anyone else? God's got you here for a purpose. He wants you to know he loves you. He's pursuing you and wants to be in that relationship with you. If you raised your hand this morning, I'm just going to ask you to put that on your heart. Would you all just pray this prayer out loud with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we say thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you love me, that you're pursuing me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Help me to live for you from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand together? So we're going to continue in worship. I'm going to invite the ministry teams to come forward at this time. For those of you who raised your hand, would you just come in the front to one of the ministry team leaders and just tell, tell them the decision you made. We want to put something in your hand. If you need prayer for anything, ministry teams will be up here. Just come and have them pray over you. But we want to just end this time in time of worship and prayer if you need it. And I just want to close by just uh, praying over you. Father, I pray your blessing on each one that's here this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to be life changers, that we would go, we would understand that you in us is all the power that we need, that God, you've caused us, called us to go and make a difference. So God, I pray that you would embolden us, empower us, help us to cross that chicken line and to do what you called us to do, even if it's just for that one. In Jesus' name. Amen.